Oh my god. Oh my god, the cat's in here. Oh no. That was a big mistake. We're alive. We both have big, long, bushy beards. We both the have biggest beard. Justin has 30 inch biceps. He has biceps like eye of thighs, just so powerful. Yep. And we've returned. Our last recorded show was like December 30th. Uh, Something and like that. There was the Tim Tebow episode. And a God. lot of stuff has happened since then. A lot of Holy stuff. Holy shit, Nathan. Yeah. A lot of stuff. So, sort of, I think anytime you're talking about college football these days, the, well, let me rephrase. Anytime you're talking about any proper noun or noun at all, period, these days, sort of the elephant in the room is COVID. So we both, you know, for various reasons, there's been a lot of reasons that we haven't been recording, but frankly, the fact that there's a worldwide pandemic going on right now is really one of them. And so in particular, because Justin and I both are Athenians, we, you know, we have felt in, we have felt the brunt of the impact of this pandemic lately. So I think Justin, um, I'm going to throw it to you. And I think you have some like really good thoughts on this and like why we've been gone and why we're coming back and what we're going to do now that we are back. So do you want to kind of walk this people through it? This. Yeah. And, and this is something you and I discussed beforehand. And the, the word I've used most often for the way I feel about everything going on in regards to college football um, writ large is just icky. I feel icky that it's happening. And I've been struggling a lot with if trying to figure out whether or not to even do the show, to be honest, this season. And you and I have had lots of discussions. And, and so this is kind of what we came to is that uh, in order to do the show, I, I needed to say some things. I need to say some things out loud. Um, and I'm going to do this once. And then I'm going to, I'm not going to feel better about football, but I'm going to feel better about my place in it. And, and I hope that it helps you feel a little bit better about your place in it as well if you're feeling icky about it happening, which uh, a lot of people I know have also been feeling that way. So the reality our fa- our town is facing is pretty daunting, it seems. Um, I've talked on the show about my wife being a teacher, Nathan's a teacher, I know lots of teachers, um, I work for a nonprofit that works with students in our community specifically, and so I get to see it firsthand, everything that's happening and the things that are happening to our community. Uh, and it's sort of a damned if we do, damned if we don't situation as far as football goes, but it's a reality we're all living in right now. And and part of that reality is sports. Sports do exist in that reality. I know that they go hand in hand and you really can't have one without the other. We've had sports forever. And it's a reality that I've had to come to terms with over the last few months. Uh, no matter how tr- hard I've tried to fight it, sports are going to happen. And here we are when, when one week out of uh, actually starting SEC football for us. So here we are. But folks in charge made uh, damn sure that it was going to happen. So instead of burying my head in the sand and refusing to use the platform we've created over the last four years to do something that can better the people in this community, we've decided to do something that we can. Um, but I don't bring all this up just because I want to beat the same dead horse that we've all been thumping the last six months. It's it's because there's still a real dire issue in our city due to the return of UGA students amid a global pandemic and now the imminent return of college football. It's only four home games, but we see the ripples of it, you know, before and after each weekend. But Clark County school students have been re- uh, relegated to online only learning here in this town. And they're one of few in Northeast Georgia that are actually just online only. I mean, Nathan's students, Nathan has been going to school every day in-person learning, whereas Anna has been teaching right behind me in the same home office that we share. And uh, there are students, dozens of students, hundreds of students that don't have access to great Wi-Fi. They have parents who have service industry jobs. They have parents that have, there are essential workers that have to go to work and their kids are stuck at home with somebody, anybody that can sit at home with their kids while they, they, they learn online. So it's it's 
it's a situation where they're they're safer because it's a pandemic, but it's not better for our citizens. You know, parents are having to make difficult decisions uh, as to whether or not they stay home with their kids and leave their job, which has happened to many parents just in Anna's classroom alone. But pre-pandemic, less than 40% of the children younger than five in this community had a seat in a quality child care facility. But now it's it's truly a boon whether or not they have a seat at in childcare because it means that they can go back to work. It means that they can do so much more than just sit at home and make sure their kids can be in front of a computer for eight hours, which I have many other opinions about that I won't get into right now. But um, the fact remains that a lot of these people are at home um, in front of their computers watching a teacher teach while everybody else gets to do what they want to do, it seems. So CCSD students won't be able to return to in-person learning until our infection rate dips back below 5% per 100,000 um, for three consecutive two-week periods. And with the exponential growth that we've witnessed over the past month with the return of UGA students, it seems to be impossible, especially since the last couple weeks we have been the 12th and then the third highest per county in the nation for infection rates and is not seeming to go any lower, um, and I doubt that'll go any lower when we have an additional 23,000 people at least in Athens on game days. Those are all the things that, that I, I really have to say about that, but I have a lot more to say about the athletes. Um, I, I It's things that I'll probably say, honestly, over the season, and they're things that I say in this show and things that you say, Nathan, too. These athletes have a choice, sure. Several of them are just scholarship athletes that that they bring so much value to this university while there are plenty of scholarship students that don't bring any value to this university, their coaches themselves are being paid their market value while these young men are continuously denied that same value, despite their names and their talents and everything they're bringing in for this university. I know that last Friday alone, the university announced that they were going to lose $55 million because of the lack of ticket sales and all the other things, uh, peripherals that surround college football in this town. You can tell me that these students get scholarships and that's value enough. But like I said, there's plenty of scholarship students that don't bring any value to this university. And so, um, and at the same time, you're making them make the choice between their careers and something they've put their entire life into, or maybe never play again because they've decided not to go forward with this thing. So there's a power dynamic there that that just, it's, it's not fair. Um, but for many of these men, it's, it's their way out of generational poverty and sitting out of the season uh, out of fear for their health as a death sentence for their potential careers. One thing that we've we've tried to make this better by doing is we've decided that this season we're going to take all the money that we make in our Patreon and any other donations that we have, and we're going to push those forward to the Dogs for Pups campaign. It is a student-led initiative. It's a student-led campaign organized by the University of Georgia football team in an effort to bring equal access to education for all the athens Clark County uh, school students, all of whom are participating, like I said, in 100% online virtual learning right now. So donations will help support the more than 1,000 families in Clark County who don't have internet access that's needed for online learning. The school district has been sending school buses with Wi-Fi hotspots into the communities in town, and it's just not enough as, as kids are being forced to sit outside and around a bus uh, just to go to school. But the Dogs for Pups campaign has allowed them to have a hotspot in the home. They have access to internet in this time when they need it most. The way that they're doing it, it's only cost 20 bucks um, to give a hotspot to a family that needs it for a month. $60 gets it to a family for the entire fall semester. And so we're going to be donating all those funds um, straight to that campaign. And that's the same for all the money that comes in through our Patreon and any other means, ad revenue, that sort of thing too. And so uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, we're going to donate these funds in your honor. 
each month. And so you can feel good about uh, this town that's probably given you a lot. If you've listened to the show, I know that you're here because you love football and you probably love Athens as well. And so you can rest assured that your contribution is going towards that. And I know that some people may think like, oh, you're just trying to get people into your Patreon. But really what we want to do is offer the Patreon and the Discord that comes with it as a community to the people that might be feeling lonely right now. Um, like I'm, I've am i been feeling lonely. And I think Nathan and Sam have also been feeling lonely. I don't mean to throw you both out there like that. But if you've been at home and you haven't been doing the things you normally do, you may feel lonely right now. And it's been a really awesome uh thing to see this tiny community grow up to be what it is now. So um, it only costs a dollar and that dollar will go straight to the Dogs for Pups campaign as well. And let me let me add let me add one thing mechanically here. Like if you are a Patreon subscriber or you want to subscribe to Patreon, you can always adjust your payment. And so if for the first, you know, for while we're doing the Dogs for Pups thing, you want to bump your payment up and then put it back down to one dollar, that is no problem. Like we're not absolutely ex- this is not an exclusionary community. We don't want to kick people out and we're not trying to raise our prices we want to put some money to a good cause and even if it's mm-hmm. just a little money you know right now we get 107 dollars a month from our patreon not all of that will go directly to um to dogs for pups because we got to pay for you know hosting and various uh, upkeep but i figure like even if we just have what we have right now we're going to be given at least 85 bucks a month right or mm-hmm. something like that um and so that's like that is a hot spot for a home for a whole semester for a kid every time we do yeah. that every month. So I, I think mm-hmm. it's a great cause. And, you know, if you're like, I think something Justin kind of tapped, uh, uh, tapped on, and maybe I'm in a slightly different mental position than Justin. And it's like, I, the thing I'm struggling with is not that I don't care about football, but that I do. And I'm very excited about it right now. But I think that we can't, you know, I think as people of good ethics, which I would hope that anyone who listens to this show is, we can't be excited about football without putting our money where our mouth is. And, you know, even mm-hmm. if that is just a little bit of money every month to help out people who need it, I think it's the least thing we can do. I mean, look, college football is absurd and stupid at the best of times. Right. And so I think that it isn't, it's not a ridiculous ask to say that we should, as a community, try to help people out uh, when we're having college football, something that we don't have to do uh, in like, you know, one of the most trying times that the world's seen in, you know, 150 years. So I, I'm very excited, just like Justin. I think that we can turn this disquiet that a lot of us have into something good. And I also am excited because, you know, I I want as many people as possible on our Patreon. I spent a long time setting it up and getting the administration <laughs> to where I like it. And I think it's very pretty. And I think it's very well organized. And I'm proud of it. And we post on here every day, um, not to just plug the Patreon. But I just think that uh, it's an opportunity if, you're, if you've got the sads, if you have seasonal affected disorder out the, out the ass like I do. To, you know, find a find a place where some people will talk to you. There's always someone on here talking about some dumb shit. And if you like this show, you like dumb shit. I, I can just yep. absolutely guarantee you objectively. We made this the cold open so that you had to listen to it. And we're going to bury the actual <laughs> open. Like, you know, I guess somewhere this, deep within. Yeah, I guess at this point where we've buried the 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 actual open like 39 minutes into the show or whatever. So let's get into that. Nathan, you want to talk about sports? Let's talk about sports. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And so today, now that we have had our vegetables, 
And if you skip <laughs> the first part of this podcast where we talked about shame on you. what we're trying to do, no, not shame on you. Get your ass back to the beginning of the podcast and listen to the correct part. I'm going to wait. I'm already pause, raspy, Pause right it. here. Yeah, pause right here. Okay, now that you can feel better about yourself because you took your ethical vegetables, which is what thinking about <laughs> people who have less than you is, now we can talk about sports. And if you're still not doing that, I don't know what to say to you. I guess I'm just disappointed. I thought you were a better person than this. All right, so today we are going to talk about UGA's upcoming matchup with the University of Arkansas, Wupig Suey, or whatever. Bum, 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 bum. Nathan, Razorbacks. Yeah. Have you ever Did you know s- that, man, I, I want to, I want, hold on, before we really get into all the weird things I'm going to tell you about pigs, what have you been, <laughs> what you been up to, buddy? <laughs> What's happened to you? Long time no talk um, in the world of podcasts. I talk to you all the time, in fact, but, you know, for the sake of, of, you know, not looking behind the curtain. What have you been doing, Nathan? Well, we have, we have, if you didn't know, if you're only a podcast listener, we've started a video product called The Battle Hymnal with mm-hmm. two very good writers and football thinkers, Josh Hancher and Graham Coffey. So I've been doing a lot with that. Been doing a lot of film cut up. I read, I wrote, I helped Graham and, and I wrote a 5,000 piece or 5,000 word piece on Dog Storts about the Todd Munkin offense, which I'm going to share some of. Um, today i've played uh since i installed it two weeks ago i've played 36 hours of magic the gathering arena but i've only played on the weekends Jeez. um so if you do the math there it's a pretty degenerate amount of um magic the gathering <laughs> um i have let's see i've been running a lot you know trying to mm-hmm, keep the mm-hmm. immune system up good to go i've uh, been hurting the immune system with all the beer but then running to try to balance it out back it's cool. part of it yeah um I want to talk about pigs, though. Can we talk Piggies. about pigs? I'd love to talk about pigs. I want to talk about literal pigs. Have you ever seen Tusk, like the Fayetteville? They have a real wild they have, boar. They have a real pig. Yeah. Tusk 5. I've only met Tusk 4. That's See, what's funny is that it's I'm, the I'm team's at Tusk been around three. since... Tusk three. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's upsetting. I was going to make a joke about how they've been around since 1894 and they only need five pigs because pigs su- live a surprisingly long time. They do. Um, Tusk no four. Joke. Tusk three. Tusk three was like uh, the interim Russ Tusk, and so like the the no nine hours a day is actually correct. So like Tusk three was the interim because Tusk four was too young to take over, and then Tusk four it was passed away because he was actually pretty old when he took over and so now it's we're at tusk five so i I why do you know so much about these pigs uh because i met this damn pig and this thing is dude you don't know how damn big this pig is like i I, they have it on a mat on in a trailer in like a cage and Uh it's been handled from birth uh by humans so it's like very docile it's a very like very cute pig uh cute may not be the right word um, no, it's kind of cute. It's cute. <laughs> and but this thing is not like you imagine. I, I think it's a build thing, right? You imagine like a pot bellied pig where a lot of the pig is like down low to the ground because there's a lot of fat. There's not a lot of fat on this pig. And there is a lot of there is a a just absolute shit ton of hair on this pig it's like very bristly Mm -hmm. and they are giant and they have giant shoulders and it is just it is very much like if you see this pig in real life you will have this flat this moment where you're like oh if i lived two thousand years ago i would have had to hunt this son of a bitch 
And yeah. like, I would have and had no chance. Killed you. It would have killed me. Yeah. This thing is uh-huh. only nominally a prey animal. There may be some listeners to this show also who have gone hog hunting. I ha- I actually have. I've killed a hog. Mm-hmm. Have you? I was around when it happened. Uh, back when I was, I worked for Chick Fil A for many years, and for a full year, I was on the team that opened a new Chick Fil A's, and I opened one in Cordial, Georgia, which is the watermelon capital of the world. There were a few people that worked on the team there that I opened the store with that then on the weekends were, because there's a lot of farmland around, um, there, on the weekends they were hog hunters and the farmers would pay these people to go out and kill all of the wild hogs that just tore everything up. Um, it's terrible. Hog hunting in Alabama, which is where I've done it, is not, um, hogs, wild hogs are not considered to be uh, trophy animals and they mm-hmm. are not in any way preserved. And in fact, they are, uh, like a virulently an invasive species, invasive species. Yeah. yeah and so um you can kill as many of them as you want in pretty much any way you want that it is very terrifying when i went hog hunting one of them charged us and my one of the people we were hunting with killed it with a knife because he had oh to. my god yeah dude absolutely buck wild it is not it is not like normal hunting is like you are the hunter and you are stealthy and nothing sees you and if everything <laughs> goes right you kill a deer before it knows that you're there and hog hunting is like, we will battle these sons of bitches on the beaches. We will kill them in the pig, in the hog pins. We will, we will go to the oceans. It is like a full out war. It is terrifying. Um, cause you wow. can, you can trap them, but they're so big and powerful that they'll break the like pins that you put them in sometimes. Um, it's real fun. So, th- <laughs> so this is a podcast about UGA football. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a lot, of, I have a lot of wild hog hunting. Uh, yeah. Thoughts. I only went the one time, and it was an absolutely ter- terrifying time. They put me on a Polaris Ranger and said, come on now, city boy, you're going to hunt pigs with us. And I was just terrified the entire time. All right. So let, let's talk about the metaphorical pigs now that we've talked about the literal pigs. <laughs> Arkansas Razorbacks. Let me tell you about this program real quick. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Here's the Winsipedia. We have played them a total of 14 times uh, since the beginning of time, which is, you know, whenever the... 1969 is the the beginning of time at least in this sense but that was back when arkansas was really good apparently in the big eight um, yeah they were in the big yeah, eight they, and the big 12 yeah only five years previous they actually won a national title but we have won 10 times uh out of those 14 against arkansas's four um in recent history arkansas has kind of been the sec uh you know not i wouldn't say laughing stock but they're not they haven't been great well they haven't won an they haven't won a uh they haven't won an sec game since uh 2017 Oh, that's true. Dang. Uh, And every conceivable uh, statistic here that I'm looking at, Georgia wins uh, all-time record, national championships, conference, bowl games, wins all-time, 831 to their 717. We've only won one more national championship to them, but you know. Um, And really, we've only won one more conference championship to them now that I'm kind of looking down everything. But still, we're kind of on top of the game here as far as um, things in recent memory go. Tell me about who their brand new coach is, Nathan. Yeah, so Sam Pittman, the pit boss, is uh, a, the first-year coach and first-year ever head coach. He wasn't even a coordinator um, at Arkansas. Uh, took the job over from sort of in a surprise move when they uh, rightfully had fired Chad Morris because his time at Arkansas had been you know, sort of a, um, a comedy of errors. Chad Morris, very successful coach at a lot of places, but didn't work out at Arkansas. One of the things about Pittman is that he is a renowned offensive line recruiter. I've met him. 
he is the most charismatic man in the world. And <laughs> I'm imagining that when he was single, he was very popular with women because this man is the kind of charisma where you're like, I don't I don't care what he looks like. He's just got this weird draw to him. Very, very incredibly nice, like super like down to earth guy. And he's, he's sort of like universally liked in coaching circles from what I can mm. tell. Um, he is. It was a very interesting moment when he got hired at Arkansas because he very clearly wanted that job. He cried at the press conference, like very much like very authentic, like uh, performance where he was like very excited to be a head coach, very excited to be at Arkansas where he had been the offensive line coach under, um, under uh, uh, Bert there. Bert. Yeah. Bert. So (laughs) he, (laughs) he um, Pittman sort of, I think made some, I'm not going to say eye raising in the sense of like bad, but just some interesting personnel choices and who he kept on. He hired Kendall Bryles. This in a vacuum makes a lot of sense because Kendall Bryles is from sort of the same tree that uh, Chad Morris is from. He runs sort of the veer and gun offense, right? He runs the inside zone or the inside uh, trap veer. He runs all sorts of like, just like very basic Malzahn running concepts. And then he runs, Mm -hmm. You know, um, a space and pace, I would say more like vintage Chip Kelly, vintage his dad offense more than Mike Leach. And, you know, I mean, he raised it raised some eyebrows because, of course, Kendall Bryles was at Baylor during their sexual assault scandal. There mm-hmm. is and I don't want to slander the man. Um, there is an open question as to what Kendall Bryles knew. I can't answer that. I certainly think that rightfully so. Bryles's career has taken a step back over the past few years. Um, I have some notes on Bryles and his offense when we get to the statistic, statistic point. But, you know, personnel-wise, it's hard not to trust Sam Pittman. Um, he, by all accounts, is a great coach. I will. It, it will be interesting to see how competently coached they are right now um, because mm-hmm. this depth chart is um, – it's not quite tire fryer status, but it's pretty bad. It's, um, yeah, they're starting Bover. So yeah, um, makes sense. At defensive coordinator, he got John Chavis. Um, no, he didn't. No, he got Barry Odom. Sorry. Uh, def- he, so Barry Odom was the head coach at Missouri and sort of got unceremoniously run out of rail, on a rail there. Um, Odom is, you know, again, by all accounts, like pretty much a, uh, you know, renowned defensive coach. He had a lot of success. He was the dude who, who coached a lot of those uh, excellent defensive ends like Michael Sam in the sort of like early uh, SEC period of Missouri's time um, as a football team. And so, you know, I think the sort of, I think this is a very much a year zero. It might even be like a year negative one for Arkansas. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, and I don't, and that isn't really a comment on their, I don't think that's so much a comment on their um, talent as it is just a comment on the, the, the situation at hand, right? Like, um, Every every comment from their AD, every comment from Sam Pittman has just been about like playing well, being disciplined, having fun. And I think that those are uh, that's sort of the language of someone who knows that they're going to get schlacked three or four times. Now, whether or not yes. that's Saturday, we can talk about. But, um, you know, I think as as Georgia fans, when they're not playing Georgia, you kind of are rooting for them because Sam Pittman seems like mm-hmm. a pretty good guy, or at least I am. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like one of those things, too, where I, I imagine coming into a situation like Sam Pittman has at Arkansas, there he's working its many years of, of perception of the program. And so he has to I think the very first thing you do when you come into something like that is you have to make it fun again and you have to make people enjoy it uh, before you start really 
um, laying down the hammer, so to speak. And that might not be Sam Pittman's thing, but it might be behind closed doors. But um, I think that he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing uh, with what he has. Yeah, I, and I, I agree. Subjectively, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Arkansas? I mean, uh, they, it's going to be an Arkansas thing. You we, know? I mean, I have some football notes on them, um, but I and we'll get into that. Yeah. In, in terms of just narratives coming into this game, um, before we get There's into a those, real big one. Well, yeah, before we get into like the purely Georgia and the offense stuff, do you have any thoughts on just like this matchup in general? It will be, I don't know, I, I, and this is something that I've been, as far as subjective narratives go, this is something that I think that we'll hear a lot of um, going into this season, and we may have already heard a little bit of it, um, but I, I can't speak to it. I've only seen a limited number of college football games at this point, but I think COVID is going to be a um, a piece of the narrative story of any game. It's going to be, you know, questioning certain players talents week to week uh, you know their their play performance coach performance there's already been many teams like this past weekend for instance a lot of games didn't get played because teams just couldn't field te- players they couldn't field a full team and you know in, in addition to there being a hurricane in many of the the, the places that uh, we're going to have games so it's just going to be it's going to be an interesting thing and i i expect to hear lots of uh announcers kind of talking through that and 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 what they see and how that affects the game as far as it goes yeah i mean and obviously we've had a couple of weeks for warm-up but the pressure not that non-sec games don't matter because they certainly do but i think that the there is a different dynamic with these sec games because of um i i think i was I think this was on, uh, I'm going to say shut down full cast. They were talking about how mm-hmm. like the SEC ended up looking smart by doing nothing, right? SEC delayed their yeah. games way later than anybody else at the beginning and then just didn't make a comment about it, spent a lot of time planning. And I think that there is a rightful narrative about whether or not that's going to work. And most of the evidence, I mean, you know, the real problem that we're having in Athens, just to, to shift back for a second, is that the, is not necessarily with the football team. It's with the the sort of, you know, 37,000 new people that are currently in Athens, right? And so mm-hmm. there's there's quite a bit of evidence that you can play most sports safely if you're willing to bubble your players. Um, and so it'll just be interesting to see how well at the SEC's plan, which has a lot of money and thought put into it, is going to work when, you know, you have kids on campus at most of these universities. Um, yeah. And so, and that, that that's going to be sort of the interesting story this season to me. I don't... I kind of have come around to your viewpoint of like, you know, they're going to play the games one way or the other, but I do wonder, you know, from a board of regents, USG situation, if, if, you know, got knock on wood, God forbid, but like if Zamir white has to miss two games because of COVID, how long does UGA stay in class? Yeah. And, and there's things part, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I think that th- that's going to be sort of an omnipresent that is that kind of is a boogeyman a, almost. Yeah, 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 something you're going to be thinking about, especially and mm-hmm. and obviously it's not that people weren't thinking about it before. Now it's just now that your our team is playing, um, you know, it's important. Yeah, and, and it is going to be interesting amid all of that too that we have a every game matters for the sake of championships this season too. It's oh an yeah, because we don't know how much we're going to play. Season. Yeah, we don't know how much we're going to play. Every game is within our conference, so that goes towards the conference championship if we get there. Uh, which I am still of the mindset at this point uh, a month ago, if you would have asked me, I would have said to this day up until now that we're not going to play. Now that we're here, I'm like, we're going to play. And now I'm of the mindset that they're going to play the whole damn season, no matter what happens. <laughs> right. And that's, uh, yeah. I, and and I, I sort of, there's a cynical part of me that does agree, but I also think that there's part of it where it's like they can good and well play the whole 
um, the whole damn season. But at some point, the pressure on these schools is just going to get mm-hmm. higher and higher and higher and higher. And and you know, I don't, I don't, we'll I don't know happens. what that looks like going forward. You know. Anyway, mm-hmm. so anyway, let, let's talk about the actual. Let's talk about more football stuff. So yeah, uh, let's talk about some, we had some a little, new sweet like, boys. We had a vegetable appetizer, and then that was like your vegetable main course. So <laughs> one of the other um, sort of, I guess, subjective narratives going into any first game of the season, especially when you have a conference-only season, is the new uh, new personnel changes. So mm-hmm. I'm going to briefly go through some stuff. Pause me if you need to, because I will just yep. talk about this for a while. So um, I think right off the top, number one, we got Todd Munkin. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about Todd Munkin. If you'd like to read them, you can check out... Uh, uh graham coffee uh our talented talented new co-host or one of them and i uh co-authored a five thousand word uh, i want to say deep dive into what it means to be a todd munkin offense what todd munkin's offense looks like what we think it's going to look like in here um to uh, the tldr of that is that i think todd munkin is a very talented offensive coordinator i think he's a very talented play caller you know it remains to be seen how well that installation is going to go across a very very bad preseason right uh well we'll say truncated preseason right and it seems like the preseason went well for uga but it certainly was not a normal preseason um so i think all eyes are sort of on munkin before anyone else in terms of new personnel just because if it doesn't if we have some you know if we have some offensive hiccups in the first game but we still win going away i don't think it really matters for him but uh if the offense comes out flat you know i think that's going to be and stays flat the entire game, that's going to be something that people raise some eyebrows at. Uh, one way or the other, whether that's fair or not. Next on the coaching side, we have Matt Luke, um, you know, who was actually not a new face. He was the the offensive line coach for the Sugar Bowl as well. Uh, that We talked about Matt Luke in our Munkin piece. The, the TLDR in him is that he loves to pull linemen. He likes his linemen a little bit uh, lighter than Pittman did. And he has a really good track record of developing dudes who go to the NFL. Laramie Tunsil was one of his. Um, he was when he was at Ole Miss, he produced some truly, truly extraordinary, uh, especially tackles um, in the, out of that program. Then we have Scott Cochran, um, Scott Cochran of Alabama fame. He has been a strength coach his entire life. Uh, Kirby hired him away. Apparently, he and Kirby are close friends. Kirby hired him away from Alabama to be the special teams coordinator. Um, I don't know what your thoughts about this are. I have a little bit of, you know, um, I have a little bit of worry about that, seeing that he's never been an on-field uh-huh. coach. But I do. My understanding is that that special teams coordinator position is really a lot about organization, energy, um, and just sort of program knowledge, which I think uh, Scott Cochran will have those in spades. Um, yeah. Any comment on the like co- this, w- co- yeah. coaching changes? With yeah, what you're saying, like kind of your worry going into Scott Cochran being a new situation. Um, I feel like any decisions being made by the on-field special teams coach or, or, you know, a new special teams coach anyway, I feel like a lot of those decisions fall to the head coach anyway, you know? Um, and so they're not they're not having to make those decisions all on their own without any sort of support either. So at least there is that. And the special teams coach is not the kicking coach, right? Most kickers have their own yeah. private coaches. Uh, in the past, we've brought in former players, you know, former kickers to be GAs. Kevin Butler was until very recently a, a GA with UGA. And generally speaking, I think that there is a separate layer of kicking instruction, either through private, private coaches or sort of unofficial coaches. Um, then there is special teams coordination, which is a lot about blocking and, 
you know, getting your scout team gunners ready and getting your second and third string dudes who aren't going to play, but are going to play a lot on um, special teams ready. And I, I think Cochran has the like absolute chops to do that. It, it, it'll, it'll be something to keep an eye on though, because Georgia, one of the mm-hmm. secrets to Georgia's success over the last two or three years is having just absolutely rock solid special teams coaching. Um, and under Fountain, Scott Fountain, our previous special teams coach, we were very ably coached. So in terms of, and I'm going to try to hit this list pretty quick. I have four new names. One of them's not new, or I guess three new names um, that we really need to think about or that I'm thinking about in terms of um, sort of like, what's the narrative on these people as we go in? Uh, number one is definitely going to be quarterback. Dewan Mathis, uh, he was a four-star recruit out of, I believe, Michigan. He was committed to uh, Michigan State for a while, and then he was committed to Ohio State, and then UGA got him, I'm going to say, on signing day. Uh, last year, he ha- was having uh, problems with headaches, and he eventually was diagnosed with a brain cyst, and he had to undergo a pretty hardcore um, like brain surgery to get the cyst removed and was not cleared for contact at all last year, most of last year and came in and was sort of the scout team quarterback. Uh, After the loss of Jamie Newman, after Jamie Newman opted out, Dwan Mathis has apparently taken a huge step forward and is look like, looks like um, we don't know for sure, but looks like is going to be the starter. He will almost certainly be splitting snaps across the game with JT Daniels, who was a five-star recruit uh, coming out of California, who initially went to USC Daniels had a very good uh, freshman year, and then he blew his knee out in the first games of his sophomore year, and he got Wally pipped by Keaton Slovis um, and ended up losing that job permanently. He transferred here, and I I really thought that if, you know, Jamie Newman left, that it would be Daniels' job to lose. And so the exciting thing about Mathis is that he won that job over someone else that was a five-star. Um, you know, whether or not... Whether or not JT Daniels pushed him that hard, I think Dewan Mathis is at the very least a very good story, and it'll be interesting to see how he does. And God knows that I'm rooting for him because he's really gone through a lot. A mm-hmm. um, couple of freshmen I think bear looking at. Uh, Jalen Carter, four-star defensive tackle out of um, Florida. Absolute just every every indication we have of him is that he is like an absolute beast. Like people have been calling him a Derek Brown type. Whether or not he becomes Derek Brown, I don't know. But he apparently is a dude with heavy hands um, who just is just absolutely blowing people up. Uh, we have Jermaine Burton is a, another wide receiver who is, uh, I think Jermaine Burton was the one that was out of Hapeville, uh, and then IMG, I get them mixed up, but Jermaine Burton is a very polished wide receiver at this point and is an a- absolutely game breaker when it comes to speed. And he, it seems like has taken over at least partially the outside, uh, receiver role opposite of George Pickens. Uh, that is kind of heartening because, you know, the depth there last year was not great. And with the, uh, you know, season ending injury to uh, Dominic Blaylock, who was sort of the shoe in for the number two wide receiver spot coming into the year, uh, especially at Flinker, because he was such a good motion man. It's good to see someone with like legit, like Olympic level track speed in that position. In most offenses, um, the sort of Generally speaking, the the single wide receiver is on the line of scrimmage, and that would be George Pickens most of the time and cannot motion. Your flanker is the guy, other than your slot guy, who you're going to be putting in motion. Uh, Dominic, UJ loved to run Dominic Blaylock out of like a, uh, if we had two, if we had two wide receivers to the field side, 
Um, and sometimes the boundary too, if we had him tight, we would run him in motion just to get people moving. And he was so fast that he can get that, take that jet sweep to the house if he has the right blocking, which he didn't last year. But um, anyway, Jermaine Burton in that sense is very exciting because Dominic Pulak is dev was definitely one of our steadiest wide receivers and can is coming into the season uh, with a torn ACL. A uh, couple yeah. of other small injuries that have happened. Um, not small, but you know, significant. It looks like Broderick Jones, who is sort of the, you know, heir apparent to the big UGA five-star uh, offensive line recruit sort of taking over for Andrew Thomas and uh, Isaiah Wilson. It looks like Broderick Jones is probably uh, has had enough injury news that he's, you know, been set back. It seems like a few small things. Um, also, we have had Arian Smith, who was another wide receiver of four stars um, is coming back from a, I think he's still out with an ACL. So the injury news has not been, uh, I would say perfect, but for, you know, a regular preseason and especially a preseason where guys have not stayed in as good a shape, which is going to lead to more soft tissue mm-hmm. injuries, injuries. I think, you know, that's something we saw this past weekend too with uh yeah, man, NFL injuries this week. It was like, it, I, I looked through the list. It was many, many, many starters, many starters from many, many teams. Yeah. So, um, UGA, I will say, has been pretty lucky on that front so far. Uh, pretty lucky on the COVID front from everything we can tell. The, the latest FOIA request put it at seven uh, positive tests as of the beginning of preseason camp. So got a knock on wood there. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there any guys from last season that you're interested in seeing their performance that aren't necessarily new faces? I mean, I, uh, well, the that's a, those are the things that I'm most excited about. You know, I'm I'm most excited about the folks that are coming back. This is going to be a big. It's a shame that this is the season that the world decided to you know go through a global pandemic and all because we had a lot of really great returners on our defense, uh, like Deont- uh, Devontae Wyatt and Malik Herring and Richard LeCount and Mark Webb and Ben Cleveland is still here somehow. Like we have all of these fantastic players. I mean, arguably, um, UGA's off UGA's linebacker core this year, if you if you count inside and outside together, is uh, I would say inarguably the deepest position in the SEC and maybe the deepest position in the nation. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is truly freakish. The defensive line is as good as it's been since I've been a fan. I mean, just depth. You've got guys like Herring and Devontae Wyatt. You've got Julian Rochester, who's a senior, who's probably not going to see much play. You've got. Um, yeah, Jordan Davis, of course, being sort of the anchor of the whole defense. You've got Trayvon Walker, who is another guy that I'm really excited about. But before we get too many, before we just list off names, let's get yeah. into a little bit more of the nitty gritty on stats worth highlighting. The real nitty gritty. Hit me with some stats. Not a lot of stats going on right now. I hate to tell everybody. Um, there's a good reason for that, though, right? Like, there's there's just some issues with stats currently. You know, there's some more systemic trends, right? Which is that, you know, we lost a good source of free and open stats and, you know, Bill Connolly moved to ESPN and I'm happy for him, but those stats have not reemerged from ESPN. They are stats I would absolutely mm-hmm. pay for. The problem with the stats that we would make ourselves is we just don't have anything to go on. So one interesting thing I thought that it really tells that's just, it's less of a stat worth highlighting, but it's more of just um, a stat that really demonstrates the nature of college football and the way the game works now is that, UGA and Arkansas are actually tied with the amount of returning production they've returned with 65% overall. And I think that just speaks to the, the vastly divergent talent between these two games because are these two teams because UGA, uh, UGA is in the top four in SP plus and Arkansas is in the sixties. Um, Arkansas's defense should be ahead of its offense. Maybe 
definitely there are Arkansas has a couple of skill players of note on offense, but their defense is going to is slightly higher ranked coming into the season on SMP plus. Um, the only other stat that I wanted to really th- uh, talk about was, uh, you know, Kendall Bryles before 2018, when he went to Florida state, Kendall Bryles, um, his teams had every time he had had an offensive coordinator job, his teams had been in the top 10 of plays run each year. Dude is a space pace veer guy. Um, didn't work out really at Florida State for a lot of reasons that were maybe not Kendall Bryles' fault. Um, so my expectation is that UGA's vaunted, very deep defense is going to be pushed because, you know, Kendall Bryles' teams, they run a lot of plays. Now, the question is, of course, are they going to manage to be successful enough to run more than three plays on any given drive, which doesn't seem like it's, you know, doesn't seem super likely. But hey, what do I know? I've been wrong before. Weirdly, for a stats-based podcast, that's about all the stats I have right now that I'm really interested in tracking. Um, yeah, I, I want to see just how many plays does Arkansas manage to run? Because if, if Arkansas yeah. is in the low, if Arkansas is in like the 70s, then they're screwed because like they 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 rely on easy yards, right? And if you're not getting easy yards on swing passes and you know outside zone, um, that offense really starts to break down, which you saw happen at Florida State last year. Mm. At least that's the that's the Arkansas we know. The yeah. new Sam Pittman Arkansas may be different. We'll, well just I have mean, to see. Kendall Bryles has pretty much run the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what whatever Pittman's you know uh, imprint on the offense will be remains to be seen. But you know, Pittman was a guy that he'd worked with Coley before. He worked with Burt Bielema. He definitely likes the inside zone. He likes outside zone. He likes stretch zone. Um, he can definitely teach the inside the inverted veer. So I think. Those two philosophies will match up pretty well just because Pittman is a running back, a running guy in many ways. Mm-hmm. And Bryles, um, despite his sort of reputation as like a gunning offense, um, you know, Bryles is part of his roots are in that sort of like Malzon veer tree. So he does like the power running game. If we're talking about just players to watch for Arkansas, it has to start and end with Rakeem Boyd. Um, we talked about this on the Battle Hymnal, Battle Hymnal preview, but. Rakeem Boyd's EPA, um, which is his points added on, you know, per play or whatever. Uh, it's just a EPA is just a good sort of catch all generic stat for how much any given player added to a team. You can also do it by defense or offense. Rakeem Boyd's EPA was for running backs, like just behind the Alabama backs. And overall he is, uh, one of the better combinations of returning yards to returning EPA in the whole nation. And he is, or in the whole SEC at least, and he's only behind among all players um, the two like studs from Alabama, and then I want to say Kylan Hill. So like Rakeem Boyd is a legit gonna go to the NFL running back. They really like to get him out there on swing passes. He's a big dude that's still shifty. I expect that Rakeem Boyd will probably hurt Georgia on a play or two. We've had a truncated um, off season, obviously, and even though Georgia's defense is so good. There's just gonna be, there's gonna be a play where the defense breaks down just because, that's the way that you know this preseason has gone. You haven't got yeah. as many reps reps in. Shake off the cobwebs. Um, I I don't want to be dismissive because we've been dismissive teams before, and then we lost the South Carolina game. Yeah, Part this of, is the season too where things like that are going to happen. Like yeah, subversive so, is the name of this season. <laughs> but the the thing, the, my real lack of concern, and we'll we'll get back to my like, you know, actual predictions when we get to our predictions. But my real lack of concern for this game comes from the fact that, like, you know, a lot of times that you have upsets, you have a sort of, like, talent. Everyone basically misjudges talent, right? So for the South Carolina Mm -hmm. game, it was that we misjudged how good 
one defensive lineman was going to be against our offensive line, which we thought was very good. Rakeem Boyd is the closest thing they have to that, to being able to bridge that talent gap. If Arkansas had a dominant defensive player, I would maybe be worried, more worried about this game for something fluky to happen. But, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance that Rakeem Boyd has a big day and his team still loses like 42 to 14 or something. Do you think that looking back on last season of the games of the tape that, that people have now, what game do you think teams are going to be watching most in order to kind of like decipher what did they need to beat Georgia? Is it the South Carolina game or is it something else? I mean, that's the problem, right? Uh, <laughs> as uh, Graham and I found out, Todd Munkin doesn't have a lot of recent tape uh, because mm-hmm. he was not calling plays at Cleveland last year. Um, I think you're going to be looking at some uh, Todd Munkin at USM about at Southern Miss tape. I think you're going to be looking at, you know, some of the games where Georgia didn't lose, but had kind of poor offensive showings. So you're you're probably going to look at the Kentucky game, the Texas A&M game. But at the the end of the day, honestly, like you're going to beat UGA by holding their defense down. And so are holding their offense down because you're not going to get a lot out of this defense this year. And I so I think Mm -hmm. what you're really looking at is what is Munkin installed at other places. I think probably his USM tape is the first place they would go. Probably his Tampa Bay tape as well. I have a lot to say about Munkin, and this is not really the time for it. But one of the things about Munkin <laughs> is that um, he really likes to manipulate defensive tendencies. And he is a dude who is like the consummate counter puncher. So if he runs, you know, if he runs like zone smash three times on the fourth time, he's running zone counter. Like, and and it's like, it's predictable in the sense that he likes to train people defenses tendencies, but it's unpredictable in that he is very good at holding that counter punch until he really needs it and using it. Well, I'm not saying that it's impossible to beat Georgia this year. I think, you know, Georgia might lose a couple of games, but I don't know what tape you look at to really have a good read on it. And that, and I mean, at his press conference today, even uh, Sam Pittman was kind of like, well, they're really good. They're well coached. They play good defense. <laughs> they're very physical on both lines. I don't know what to say. And, and I don't know yeah. what you say if you're Arkansas. Now, if you're Alabama, I think you do. You, you look at tapes of when you played Georgia in the past. You look at tapes from South Carolina last year. But, you know, how much does that tell you? Because Todd Munkin is not being brought in here to beat James Coley the second time around. I, I, I don't know how much. I know that I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I do know that that's not what he's being brought in here to do. That being said, then let me ask you this. Um, what are some things that and I think this is actually a question we have later on from uh Irk russell um but what are some things we that we might see this weekend that indicate that things are going well and uh you know you know the inverse of that things are going poorly anytime you install a new offense if you're getting anytime you have any kind of consistency of just getting chunk yardage um having drives that don't rely on explosive plays and ju- just generally looking like the offensive is competent what would worry you is like, you know, blown blocks or uh, wide receivers running the same, the wrong route or fumbles because of like a bad exchange because like the running back did one thing and the quarterback did the other. You know, say what you want about Kirby. He is not the kind of guy who coaches poorly coached teams. I don't expect that that will happen. I think maybe we will see Dwan Mathis miss some balls. I think we will see some poorly blocked plays. And that will be very frustrating, but I'm not going to get worried about this offense until we're just seeing total and complete meltdown, right? Because if this were a year without a pandemic, you would still expect there to be an adjustment period. So I I will say 
for those of you who you know are the anxious types, if we have a couple of dead downs or a couple of dead drives, I'm not going to freak out about it. You know, Clemson went three and out on their first drive of the year, right? So just you got to just work the system. I, I I'm only worried if the first drive ends on like a third and eight where like a dude runs the wrong route and Dwan Mathis throws a pick, right? And then I'm worried, mm-hmm. but like. If it's just like, oh, this is more the same from last year. Well, yeah, that was always kind of kind of be the pay- case when it comes to transitioning offenses. Do you want to talk about what you want to see? I just want to see. I want to see something. I, I want to see a brand new offense. You know, I want to see an offense that's more dynamic. Um, I want to see. I just want to see more of this Todd Munkin mess that y'all have been talking uh, pretty nonstop about. Which um, everyone, you should definitely go read the essay. It's it's wild um and it's going to get you super excited about this weekend and and the rest of the season too and it's on dog sports i'll link it in the show notes as well but i'm just excited about what it can be you know on one hand i know things have to run a certain way it's still kirby smart system just because we have a new offensive coordinator doesn't mean like top to bottom everything is going to change however the moves that were made in the offseason lead me to believe that he is adapting new things into the program. And I don't know how much that is of certain personnel changes or Kirby saying, you know, he's seen the light and understands the future of college football and football um, in addition to that. But I, I'm just excited to see what everything we've been kind of bullshitting about in the offseason adds up to this weekend and following weekends. Yeah, um, we we just had a comment in our Discord saying we don't want to see vanilla this weekend, and I agree. Ugh, yeah, um, and you I know, agree. And I would say the one the one sort of sop for the burnt UGA fan right now, the aloe for your wounds, is that, and this is a point that Graham and I made on the on on the uh, the piece that we wrote is that if Kirby wanted someone to come in and run man ball, he picked the wrong guy. There is mm-hmm. no evidence in the history of Todd Munkin's career that that dude runs a conventional offense. He just doesn't. Um, it is going to look much different. And I don't know how much that practically Kirby can interfere in the operation of this offense, other than just saying, run the ball, because mm-hmm. we're going to be doing a lot of things at a granular, like blocking and tackling level, but also at a more general philosophical level that UGA fans have never seen out and out of an offensive coordinator. The man loves yeah. the pistol. He does not like the pistol for like two or three plays a game. The dude loves the full house uh, backfield. The dude will run the pistol. He will run a tight end sniffer. He will run all this stuff that UJ has seen in the past as a gimmick that is not a gimmick for him. When the dude runs the pistol, he will run a whole drive out of the pistol. Like I, I, I would hold on to your butts because whether it works <laughs> or not, it's not going to, it's not going to look the same. So yeah, that's, that's my that's my sort of like what I want to see is just competence. And if UGA scores 28 points and we all hate ourselves and we win going away, I'll feel good about it as long as the offense looked good when it was good. Right. If we have a bad quarter, whatever. I just want to mm-hmm. see a couple of sustained drives, a couple of drives where we score because we put together and had a good drive, not just because we hit a 50 yard bomb. And actually, honestly, though, I'd also love to see some bombs. Right. UGA was not been very explosive in the past few years. Um, Todd Munkin thrives on explosiveness. I'm also very interested to see, and this isn't really something I want to see. This is just something I'm interested to see. It's like, what is, what pace is UGA playing with? Munkin Mm -hmm. is not a a Chip Kelly blur guy, but he can, he has, and will play with some pace. Um, I would be interested to see how quickly UGA gets back to the line, how quickly they're snapping it. 
are they doing the sort of like classic spread offense thing where they have a big, they have a first down and they immediately go blur, right? And they just reel off five or six plays in a row. UCF did this very well against Georgia Tech last weekend, if you're watching that game. So, and the thing I want to see is just like something different and it might not work, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's just the way installing a new offense works. And there might be times where it's frustrating. Uh, But I, I, there is no world where Todd Munkin has control, uh, has the keys to the car and is the offensive coordinator where it looks like it did last year, because that is just not who he is at all. And and I have about 5,000 words to prove that. So <laughs> I, I will say I was super pumped. I was so, so, so excited when Jamie Newman transferred and we got the news that that was going to happen. So it, it is kind of disappointing, but I've moved on past the the grief that I felt um, after Jamie Newman decided to move on to the NFL. Yeah, but, I, I'm sad, but I also like... I think we got the right people to do what he was going to do. Not immediately, but... I don't know how to say this. You know, like, Dewan Mathis is not a surefire first-round pick. Dewan Mathis is not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Justin Fields. The knock on him coming out of high school was that his delivery was a little bit long and that he didn't have enough good weight. He didn't have enough muscle mass. There is... With the way that nutrition works at UGA and the fact that he's put on like 25 pounds after he lost a bunch of weight after his surgery, mm-hmm. there's not really anything other than just like lack of experience standing in the way of this guy being great. And I don't mean yeah. that he will for sure. I just mean he's got the talent. He has the arm. He has the legs. He apparently has the the head for it. Um, I'm excited to see that- what Dwan <laughs> Mathis can do. I, re- I really do think uh, he might not keep the job the entire year. But that he is not, and he's not a player that has no flaws, but he's definitely a player that, like, he his ceiling is he goes to the NFL, like, for sure. Do you have some over-unders for us? Yes. Can I get us started? Yeah. Um, my first one's not an over-under. It's more just, like, the line. Line on this game mm-hmm. opened at 29 and a half, and it got bet down to 26 and a half. Um, do you take the points? I'm not saying, does UJ win? I'm saying, does UJ win by 27 points? Over, mm-hmm. over under 26 and a half points win on for this game. I think that, at least objectively, I think fans need UGA to come out and win a game by at least 27 points to make them feel good about the season, especially going into the gauntlet that is the next four games. That will give us kind of the push we need to go into those. So yes, I think that it happens. I think it needs to happen. Um, We need to start the season off with a bang. I'm going to take the over because of something that Graham and Josh and I were talking on the Battle Hymnal the other day. This is a a couple of weeks ago um, as well. Normally, I would say that Sam Pittman and Kirby are close enough dudes that, you know, Kirby might call off the dogs. But I don't think that if the first team comes out, it's going to be the second team. And I think they're going to try to score because they just haven't had enough reps. And so Mm -hmm. I think even if the offense doesn't look good, uh, UGA is going to be trying to score in the fourth quarter. They're going to need to get reps in for sure. Uh, Over under Zamir White, two touchdowns. And I will say that um, distinction here is one run, one pass. So do I think that's going to happen? I'm going to take the under because I think if there's a pass touchdown to the running back, it's going to go to James Cook. Now, if you mm-hmm. just gave me two touchdowns straight up, like mm-hmm. does Zamir White get two touchdowns? I'd probably take it. But if if it's like two touchdowns, one of which is a receiving touchdown, I think Zamir White is an able receiver, but I just think James Cook is going to get a lot of those uh, receptions this year. Mm-hmm. He feels a lot more like the the Sony Michelle of the duo. Yeah, for sure. So he would be in those situations where he'd catch him more. I'll go. I'll go with push because it's again something I, I want to see. I don't know if it will happen, but it's something that, in my mind, the brand new offense that we are creating here, we have a dominant running back core that does a lot of cool dynamic shit. 
And so I want to see at least somebody get a running and a passing touchdown. It might be that our running back core spreads that around and, and we get two touchdowns total between them. But um, I'm going to go push and hopefully Zamir White comes out because I think he deserves it too after all the mess he's been through. I'm going to change my number at the last second here. Over under <clears throat> two and a half Dewan Mathis passing touchdowns. Oh, so you're going all in on it. Well, I think. Uh, I think if UGA wins by twenty five by twenty seven points, it's probably pretty likely that Devon Mathis has at least two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the question is just if you think UGA is going to win running away, which I think we both do, how much of that is attributable to John Math or to Dewan Mathis's arm? John Mathis. John, <laughs> that sounds I, more I, like a pilgrim that looking, came over and colonized America. <laughs> I'll be honest. The reason I said that is I was looking at our Patreon <clears throat> role and I saw your father in law's name. Oh, yes. John Mathis. That is not his name. Um, So you think this is an over or an under? What is your your bet here? You you go ahead. I think it's going to be an under. You think under? Because it has to be an under because I just said it was going to be an under a second ago. Um, I uh, under is smart, (laughs) but I sort of think that there's a chance that the back end of this Arkansas defense is not very good. And all of the things that we have said about why we're worried about UGA getting prepared for this game are very true about Arkansas and Arkansas has less talent. Um, Hmm. So I think that there's a chance that Dwan Mathis gets a cheap one. If you watch the Miami Louisville game on Saturday, there was a Miami play where like Miami had a running back on a wheel route with no one within 30 yards of him. And it was like, Hmm. like you or I given 10 tries could have probably made that pass twice, which is like (laughs) incredibly easy. Is what I'm saying. An incredibly easy pass. So I'm going to take over. I don't expect to win this, but I just think that um, UGA might get some cheap ones. <laughs> just not, And yeah. not even because Arkansas is bad, but because, well, okay, they're not great. But also because, you know, when you combine not great offense or defense with uh, not a lot of snaps and not having the talent to sort of like even that out, I, I think that's the recipe for some blown coverages. Yeah. Okay. How many times over under, how many times are announcers going to wonder if a player's absence or performance is COVID related? And I have it at three and a half times. Oh, over. Slam the over. I would, I would, I bet the house on the over. Oh, God. Yeah. Is it one of those things? Cause it typically in, in the past, we've had a lot to say about announcers having, uh, kind of like poor ethical decisions being made on like what they should and shouldn't talk about as far as, you know, personal lives goes. And so I'm, I'm trying to decide where I think this is going to land before the actual Saturday game. So I'm not surprised and therefore angered by uh, what is most likely going to be an over. It's funny because they actually haven't talked a lot about on what I've listened about the actual kids having COVID. But there's mm-hmm. the real over under is like how many different times they go through all the precautions that have been taken. <laughs> well, that one's that one's like a windmill slam. Yeah. Uh, Whatever over, the number is, take it, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah no matter. I'll go over as well just because I'm expecting it. And if I'm expecting it, I'll be less upset about it. What are you? What's your last one? Um, I'm going to take over under 35 UGA points. I think 35 points scored. Okay. Let me say over under 35, uh, offensive points. So 35 points from the offense. And so this is something that I would expect if it were 35 total points, this is something that I would expect from last year's UGA. Like that's kind of the, the, you know, if they're lucky and consistent and they're doing everything they need to do, 35 was kind of what they did. Um, but this year with a, you know, with more going on and, and Todd Munking really, Todd Munkin really kind of injecting his philosophy into this offense, I'd like to see more points. But 35 seems conservative for, you know, kind of shaking off the cobwebs and figuring things out still. 
Um, and like you said, the truncated practice season. 35 is a lot. I'm going to go. I'm going to go under. Okay. I'm going to go over. And the reason for that is that if you look at the defenses that gave UGA problems last year. So like, for instance, like Carolina last year, uh, they came into the get into the, uh, into the year with the projected to be the 14th ranked defense, um, coming into, into, in, in the nation, right. A&M, right. Uh, gave tech, gave us a lot of problems. 13th ranked defense, right. Uh, Kentucky also didn't hardly score on them at all. 26th ranked defense coming in the day, right. Arkansas coming in with the sixth projected 65th ranked defense in the nation. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of talent on this defense, and I and I don't know another way to be to be. <laughs> I I don't know how to be like uh, uh nice about that. So I'm taking over. Yeah. Okay. Heard, heard, heard. And the very last one over under UGA two and a half field goals. You know, Hot Rod has moved on. Um, RIP. Uh, and uh, everyone, <laughs> speaking of, you should go check out his website I'm now. RodrigoBlankenship. I'm gonna take under on that because I yeah. I think that Kirby likes to kick field goals, but. Uh, Rodrigo Blankenship is the ultimate Linus style safety blanket. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm honestly thinking it's going to be under as well. And I'm okay with agreeing with you here since I think we have enough difference in all of our predictions at this point. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see some real touchdowns, not just field goals, but you know, I think that we're going to see some, there, I can see a world in which we have three field goals just because I feel like there's going to be situations where we may get to, just knocking on the door of the red zone and not be able to capitalize on those final plays just, you know, just based off of figuring it out still. Um, so that's what I got. Predictions, score predictions. What you got? Hit me with it. I feel like we cover barely and that this is like, it's probably like a 42 14 game. I don't, I know UGA a, I'm just sort of like a rose colored glasses guy. And I've spent so much time studying Todd Munkin that I'm just like, like whatever. <laughs> uh, let, let's let's roll. Um, I think if I were a betting man, I would probably take Arkansas on the points this weekend, just because I think that there's a chance that UGA struggled on offense. But I'm like, I'm bought into the Todd Munkin train, so like, let's do it. What are you thinking? This feels like less to me. I'd really like to see 40 points out of Georgia this game. I don't. I it's one of those things where I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it, kind of thing. I guess. Um, so I'm thinking it's going to be close. I think it's going to be maybe 38 out of Georgia. Um, I think we'll get a field goal in there. Um, it'll be something silly, like a dropped ball out of one of the younger wide receivers or something, you know, leading into the red zone and we'll have to get, uh, a short yardage field goal or something. So I'm thinking UGA 38 and does that math work out if I put Arkansas at 17? No, 27, no. Yeah. Okay. I'll put them at 14, Arkansas 14, hey, UGA 38, Arkansas we have, 14. We have, an, we have two over-unders from the discord. All right. Oh Yeah. Over under five minutes, announcers talking about Dewan Mathis assists. Oh, way under, so under. Like they're talking about it right now. <laughs> no, that that's so over. That would be over. Oh, I think it was. It, will it be? Will it be five minutes at least before they talk about it? You're oh, thinking no. like, like they'll talk about total it total minutes. five minutes. Yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. You know, it, either, it won't be five minutes way, before they start. They're going about to it. start early, and they're going to do it for a long time. Now here's a here's a better. This young man has really just figured oh it out. He's yeah, pulled he's himself so mature. Up. We talked to him at the production meeting. We we're just astounded at everything he's gone through. Just just pap, pure and with a broken pure, brain and everything. I can't believe problem. it. What gets more airtime, Mathis cyst or JT's knee as the reason that he isn't playing? Ooh, 
this is the th- I think it's if Mathis is having a great game, it'll be Mathis's assist. If he's having a poor game, they'll be talking about what could have been with JT Daniels, but he's not there because of his knee. Dope. So are dope, you ready dope, for dope. our favorite segment? Every our very favorite segment. It's it's been a long time, nine months in the wilderness without one. Let's do some Ask CBC. <laughs> yep. And if you'd like to see your questions on the show, make sure you tag us before we record on Monday evenings. We have a, like a real schedule going on now because we're real adult boys and we have to make a GCAL for everybody to make sure that we know what's going on. So if you get your Ask CBCs in before Monday at five, you can see yourself on the show as well. Just hashtag hashtag ash shibishi um you can send it in gmail or on twitter or if you eventually join our discord there's a whole damn channel for it so very first one comes from longtime listener longtime caller abby stage manager for life ask cbc since game day rituals will be different for everyone this year what are you planning on doing on saturday to get yourself excited for uga game day this is especially important for you nathan because why (laughs) uh because i I'm gonna make. I'm gonna give you some some honest honest uh, feedback here. I've never been able to drink beer during a football game before this year. When I came to UGA, I was 18, and and I didn't drink at all in high school because I was a preacher's kid, and um, you have to be popular to go to parties to drink. And I played Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. Uh, and then <laughs> ever since then, I've been associated with Redcoats. So other, except for I guess there was like a three year period where I wasn't. Uh, and during that time, I lived in Tennessee, and I was really depressed, so I didn't drink <laughs> during the games oh. because that would have been uh, unhealthy. And yeah, so I don't, I don't really know what to do with myself. I have, um, I have never had more time to watch football. Typically, our, our game day rituals are usually like we like to walk around town and see what's going on and go see friends at tailgates. But you know, tailgates aren't allowed. But gathering around your vehicle, you know, in a parking lot is whatever that's called. Um, and so we won't be doing that. So I think instead, we'll probably, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do some virtual stuff with everybody. If everybody wants to do anything on the Discord, that sort of thing, we'll think about that and figure it out. But I I would really still love to go out and do some walking and see the Athens sky blue is what we like to talk about. Uh, Game day Athens sky is a lot different than any other uh, Athens sky. It's really, really nice and very important. But um, yeah, we'll figure it out as we go. I think that that'll be really great my current um, game day ritual that has been for the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I sit in my chair at my computer uh-huh. and my computer is on the wall that I can look through a door and see our big TV. And so I put, we put one game on the big TV. I have one game on my second screen on my computer and then I play magic, the gathering. <laughs> That's my actual <laughs> on my main screen. That's, and then I stream magic, the gathering to our discord and nobody gives a shit about it. But so far, that's been my that's been my pattern. Mm-hmm. So far, this past Saturday, the only pe- the only <laughs> that was pretty awesome though. You and I we streamed each other. I streamed the games, and then we streamed each other's Magic the Gathering games, and just watched each other's <laughs> Magic the Gathering yeah. and football. Very good time. Yeah, I recommend it highly. Second question: What's your favorite autumn fall beer? Um, I'm a mm, I'm a really big Oktoberfest guy, and I think my pro- favorite Oktoberfest is probably the Brooklyn. If we're talking about domestic, uh, I really like uh-huh. Spaten Oktoberfest. It's one of the original Munich breweries that was at the first Oktoberfest. Uh, it's very, very good. And it's also pretty easy to get. I have two, two that I really, really love. One of them is a pumpkin one, and one of them just reminds me of the fall. Um, the first one is Dogfish Heads Pumpkin Ale. It oh, yeah. It is outstanding. I firmly believe it is the best 
uh, pumpkin adjacent um, kind of fall beer we that have you can like, find. We have like four of those in the fridge and I can't drink them because Samantha has claimed them. We messed up last weekend because they, they, they were at the store and so we got them and then brought them home and then we both forgot how high ABV fall beers are. And so I just kind of got wasted watching Schitt's Creek and drinking those beers. Um, it was a great Friday night. Yeah. And uh, no regrets. It was really nice. My second one is I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's by Fontaflora. Fontaflora is a super like dope ass brewery out of South Carolina that just makes weird stuff, but weird in the best way possible. Cause there's plenty of breweries out there that make weird beer. That's just bad. Um, they make weird beer that is very good, but they make a, they make one that comes out in the fall. It's a sweet potato ale and it is just, mm, it is outstanding. Good. Uh, they make a lot of weird stuff like uh muscadine beers. It is called, um, it is they, called supper table for the record. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is very, very good. If you can get your hands on any Fontaflora or if you want to take a trip out there, it's like in the boondocks of South Carolina and it's a gorgeous place. Um, oh, they have one and in Charlotte they're really now. good about their social distancing. Is there? Yeah. One in Charlotte and Morganton. They also make another really great beer called Irish Table. That's like a really low ABV um, dry Irish stout, which is the way it's meant to be made. Uh, you should get it. But and the final question by Abby, how many games do you think we will actually play this season? What part of the schedule lineup made you want to go back to your original schedule pre-COVID? Go to our original schedule, excuse me. Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama mm-hmm. is is not a great three-game run. I wish we didn't have to do that. That's going to be really tough. And I think we said this, we answered this question on a battle hymnal, but like, I think they're playing everything at this point, hell or high water. Yeah. I, I see very few scenarios where we don't finish the season unless we just can't field a team. Or um, I'm going to knock on every wood I can find. Somebody actually dies. Right. That's that's that I think is the only way that this will not happen. Joel asks, what are the odds of a CBC community virtual tailgate this season? This Friday, Nathan. So, yeah, Friday, we're going to be having a live stream of the Battle Hymn Hymnal. That's going to be a, a tailgate show where we just sort of get a little more loose than normal. Um, uh-huh, and uh-huh. we're going to have a lot of discord discussion. uh sort of stuff going on and we're going to try to figure out how to let discord uh people on our discord just like call into the show basically um it's going to get wiggity weird also on mm-hmm. saturdays we have a live chat that we use uh you know as we aforementioned justin and i have been in there playing magic this saturday i will probably not be playing magic <laughs> i'm going to set it up with my laptop and set up my um my mic out there and just sort of like going to just be live mic the whole game and um just watch it <laughs> we're going to get you one of those Britney Spears headphones and just have it on you the whole time. Wireless mic it. Oh, man. If I could, I would. I'm probably just going to like tote my entire recording setup out there, honestly. But yeah, his whole desktop. No. <laughs> yeah, don't tip me. <laughs> I, I've got everything braided and together, so I can't move it because all the wiring is good. Mm, that good wire management. Bro, Obama asks, what's one thing that will heavily concern you if you see it in the Arkansas game? Uh, I mean, one is Rakeem Boyd running wild. Like he's going to score some points. He's probably going to have a touchdown. He's a really good back. Mm-hmm. Um. I or he might have a touchdown, but if he has like a really big day against this defense, like, mm, like that's, that's concerning. Yeah. I don't think that we've forgotten the off season, how to block the, the, the running game though. So let's, let's hope that that is the case. So like, ju- just, just to be clear last year when Arkansas played, um, when Arkansas played Alabama, he did not have a touchdown. Actually, they lost 48 to seven. And Rakeem Boyd was 12 carries for 50 yards. You know, Alabama proved that it could shut him down. And Alabama probably had a worse defense than we did last year. So, mm-hmm. 
if he has a really big day, even though he's really good, a really good back, that'll be concerning. Now, if he has a couple of big plays and it's the first season game of the season, that's fine. But if he just like is really getting Chuck Gardridge on us, then I'm going to be worried. Eric Russell asks, in an alternate universe where we could have a full stadium, what kind of fan reaction would you guys expect for the pit boss the next time he comes to Sanford? Oh, like he's going to get the most claps of any opposing coach ever, right? Like the most positive. <laughs> like seriously, people love him. And yeah. I do too. He's great. Yeah. I love Sam Pittman. I think he's a he's a great guy. He's very he's real goofy, real funny. Other than I think do you think that Ed Orgeron would get a bunch of claps or would he get a bunch of boos? Has he reached like Death Star status yet? I don't know. I love Ed Orgeron and I don't think I'll ever Me not love too. him. So I, I have okay. a hard I have a hard time imagining that anyone would be super <laughs> nice about it because that's just how the SEC is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of it, I guess. Banshee Radio asks, who's your favorite SEC head coach other than Kirby, and why is it Sam Pittman? Oh, I don't know, man. And Ogeron. I, I, I adore. I guess favorite as in who would I want to have a beer with? Sam Pittman, absolutely. Favorite for mm-hmm. the memes, and we do need to add him as a custom emoji, Ed uh, We sure do. <laughs> He's our, my absolute favorite. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll give you Sam Pittman's a real close second. Um, Herschel Skywalker asks, who finishes with more total yards from Arkansas versus rushing yards from Georgia? Oh, is it more total yards from Arkansas or more rushing yards from Georgia? This is a cold ass question. It sure is. I'm going to say Arkansas, but it's probably going to be close. It'll probably be pretty close. I mean, this isn't the same comparison, but the Clemson and who is it? Citadel game this past? Damn. uh, Trevor Lord scored three touchdowns in the first like 10 minutes of the game. And he only threw eight for nine. But anyway, I don't think it'll look like that. I think the end of the game, it was like 440 yards to 100 and some change uh, to Citadel. I don't think it'll look like that. I think that we could probably expect anywhere from two. We actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we might have a rushing game. I don't know. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say rushing yards. Damn. (laughs) I've talked myself into it. Damn. That that was, that was, that was brutal. I'm into it. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened. I blacked out. Let's move on. That's been uh, that's the first episode, season four, Chapel Bell Curve. We done did it, yeah, Nathan. Excited, bud. I thought we, we, I done we did a good did job. It. So before we hit the the notes, though, just make sure um, if you listen to the the beginning of the show, I'll put the, in the show notes the uh, links to um, donate to the Patreon. So that way you can get acknowledged for it. One, if you want to donate to the Dogs or Pups campaign, and also you can get into our Discord by donating through the Patreon. Um, and that way you can be plugged into this community that is growing and awesome and has been blowing us up the whole time we've been recording here, uh, which has been really fantastic. But um, hop on there. You can also, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the, things are going to look a little bit different this season because we've we've factored in Battle Hymnal. And so those folks will be, um, you know, Josh and Graham, they're going to be doing some uh, review shows with us. And Nathan or myself or both of us will be joining them on Sundays as well for those recordings uh, live. So those will be on YouTube and Periscope. And those will be factored into our review shows um, following the games. And so you have that to look forward to as well. What else, Nathan? Uh, Well, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. And if you liked what you heard here, you can check us out at uh, Chapel Bell Curve on Twitter. You can find Justin at J Bray. Is it the Justin Bray on Twitter? The Justin, the Justin Bray. Bray on Twitter. You can find me at Nathan J Lawrence because I'm unimaginative. If you want to <laughs> yell at us via email, you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. No promises on how how quickly we respond. We don't check it very often. If you really liked what you had you heard today, or you just want to donate some money to a good cause, you can get on our Patreon. Um, we're going to be donating everything after our expenses to the Dogs for Pup campaign, as uh, we've said several times. But we just want to emphasize that because we think it's a great, a great, great, great uh, cause. 
we will catch you this weekend in the classic city or parts unknown. I hope that we will catch mm-hmm. some of you who hear this midweek on the discord and we have some new members. Uh, but until then go dogs.